2: Welcome to The Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. The Boneyard is brought to you by Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors for this show. We love them. They love us. They love you, too. Maybe not as much as I do, but they do love you. Go by there and check them out. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harper Drive in the Ridge and Flowwood area. Go by, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you better looking. Trust the science. Get that great restaurant quality hamburger. Last week I had two. I had the Bryant and the Mississippi Barbecue Burger. Both were absolutely, in the words of Ben Hallen, phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. phenomenal. Uh, go by, check them out. You'll be glad you did. They're going to do a great job feeding you as you put your feet under their table. We're gonna have a different format today so we're gonna go ahead and knock out our ads early because uh, no top 10 list today no game recap nothing like that. We're gonna go ahead and just kind of talk about the state of state kind of give you up to date what's going on Mississippi State uh, football program. how about that So with that said let's thank our friend. Blair Chandler at clotheswithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler is a mortgage professional. If you got mortgage needs, look out to look out for Blair because he'll look out for you. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. Uh, Blair is the guy that can get things done. He has seen it all and done it all in 22 years of experience in the mortgage industry. Recently made the move to Priority One Mortgage. That's what happens when guys get things done. There's opportunities for them to make moves. And Blair made one. And again, that's 601 500 Don't forget our friends at Campus Bookmart. I will be there soon. Uh, we got a new book coming out, be released a week from Today. And uh, they'll be stocking at Campus Bookmart. Mart. And uh, you can go ahead and order all my books. They have all of my books there. And so if you want to wait till next week to buy a, the book direct from Campus Bookmart, you can complete your Steve Robertson collection. And one handy click of the mouse, Campus Bookmart, a Stark Villigan institution. Next time you're in town, go buy and check them out. You'll be glad you did. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. Yeah. And finally, this weekend, if you're looking to come to town, the Stark Vegas Clubhouse is available. Google Stark Vegas Clubhouse and book through the Evolve website. We'll save you a little money. Promo code with them too, bsr 10 Get you ten percent off your stay. You booked another service. I can't help you there. But booking through the Evolve website, which is the most competitive website, more times than not, gets you ten percent off just by being a Lawyer Bone Yard listener. A great place to stay whether you're bringing a work group to town. You want to have everybody under one roof. Yeah, that's great. And not to mention, you come for ball games. Whether it be basketball, baseball, football, whatever. Instead of renting five hotel rooms, you can rent this magnificent property. It is the renovated clubhouse at the old country club. And now it's got two wet bars. It's got a great fire pit area, huge living room, dining area. And how great would it be for mom to have all of the kids and grandkids under one roof? That way she can make breakfast for everybody. Cinnamon rolls all the way around, courtesy of grandmother, when you stay at the Stark Vegas clubhouse. You won't have the ability to do that at a hotel room. Everybody will be kind of cordoned off, and it's going to be so much more expensive Again, Google the Stark Vegas Clubhouse and book through the Evolve website, promo code BSR10. All right, so, you know, here's your game recap. Xavier and Thomas runs the opening kickoff back. There is glee within the Mississippi State fan base. And then we were terrible the rest of the game, and we lost. That's your game recap. Now, I'm, I'm a guy that I try not to get emotional during games, and if I do get emotional, I try not to share it on social media or on the message boards. I know there are some people that would like for me to get out of character because it, um, they think, hey, well, if Steve feels this way, I'm justified in feeling the same way. And uh, maybe that's a narcissistic view, but I understand that's the case. But at halftime, I kind of broke character. And I posted on our message board this cannot continue. I think we were all in one accord at that point. No, this cannot continue. Now, I was told early last week that the administration had cleared the way for Zach Selman to make whatever changes he felt necessary to our football program. On Tuesday, I was told it was simply a matter of time. Now, based on how the team played on Saturday, it was apparent it was time, and perhaps it was apparent that people already knew. Because outside of that initial kickoff return from Xavier Thomas, we did not play with much fight. The biggest thing about the Zach Arnett era that I will say here and elsewhere to the end of time is that we didn't look prepared. And that is on coaching. And I think that is a fair characterization. At times, we didn't line up properly. Uh, We have players that run the wrong routes. Uh, I'm not going to throw a player under the bus, but I've had some people tell me that when you see two receivers in the same area, it's generally because of the same guy. Well, my question with that is, why run him out there? Why keep running him out there if he can't perform the duties required of his position? I don't care how talented he is. I don't care how much NIL money he's collecting. If he can't perform or is unwilling to perform at the, at the level necessary to move this team forward, that is an indictment on the coaching staff, period. Now, I'll also say this about Zach. And I think it's important before we get too deep in the reads today that we acknowledge this. I have read some comments on social media that I am not proud of and I do not support. And those are those that are filled with anger and angst towards Zach Arnett. Zach Arnett simply didn't win enough. Period. Zach didn't attack the fans. Zach didn't call out the administration. Zach didn't make excuses. Zach didn't ask for this job. We went to Zach in our time of need. And Zach Arnett stepped up and said, okay, I'll take on the responsibility. Yes, we had a veteran team returning. Yes, we had a favorable schedule. And we didn't win. But I would submit to you that nearly every decision Zach Arnett made prior to toe meeting leather, as the illustrious hind dog likes to say, was the right decision. Now, one could argue we probably should have weaned off the offense And I remember being in uh, the Golding Media Center last December, and I asked Zach, and you can go back and pull that press conference up if you'd like. You know, it's like, hey, it appears you're scrapping the air raid. And he looked at me and kind of had this incredulous look on his face and said, no, a lot of the same concepts that we're going to run in a passing game are things that Wilder very familiar with. And they're going to be very reminiscent of the air raid. That that didn't turn out to be the case. That may have been our initial intent, but that's not what we did. But if you look at what Zach did, protecting your roster from poachers, and there were plenty, and a good friend of mine says those same people that were tweeting out their support and condolences for the loss of Mike Leach within seconds were texting your players. Or texting people close to them, trying to encourage them to get in the portal. Well, Zach Arnett was able to navigate through that, and we didn't lose anybody. That's important to understand, and people forget that. We had Xavier Thomas and Tulu Griffin both go in the portal last year, and we got them both back. That says a lot about Zach Arnett and his vision for the program, and the buy-in for the program, and the job the Bulldog Initiative has done as well to support our program. But there should be no Zach Arnett slander. Yes, I'm unhappy with the product on the field. I'm unhappy with how the season has gone. That doesn't give me license to go out there and take a personal shot at Zach Arnett, who didn't come to us in politic for the job. We went to him, presented him an opportunity, and he accepted that opportunity. He accepted the job. And now he has not lived up to the requirements or the expectations of this job or our administration and the demands that we have as fans when it comes to Mississippi State football, and he's been terminated for it. And he'll be well compensated for it. What is it, $4.5 million? Zach Arnett didn't lose. Zach Arnett lost some games on the field, but Zach Arnett will be okay. Zach Arnett is a fabulous person. He is a fabulous coach. And he was put into an near impossible situation in a job that he wasn't quite ready for. And we all hoped, we did, we supported him, and then we had some injuries. And sometimes I think to myself, where would we be right now if Will Rogers hadn't gotten injured? And I'm not going to sit here and say, I told you so. I'm not going to do it. But, you know, we talked about it all through fall camp about Mike Wright. Mike could be a good package guy for us, be a good change of pace guy for us, but, uh, you know, we might be a bowl-eligible team with him as a starter, but he really wasn't pushing Will. To be QB1, Will gets injured. Mike is thrust into the position, much like Zach Arnett, you who know, kind of pushed him before he was ready and he had some limitations, and you all saw it on the field. And again, I appreciate Mike Wright for his contributions to Mississippi State football, as meager as they may be. The kid played hard for us, he did got beat up for us last week against A&M. You know, we put Parson in the game and then things went south quickly. And that's not an indictment on Chris Parson. Again, we're asking him to do a job before he's ready. In addition to that, you know, we lose uh, Trevion Williams for the year and we lose Calvin Dinkins for nearly the entire year. I'm I'm still not not completely sure he's going to be back, but we'll see. And so... There are some things that have happened that aren't anybody's fault. It's just football. But at the end of the day, coaches are paid to win. It's as simple as that. This is not Vanderbilt. It's not about your graduation rate. It's not about your APR. It's not about player retention and uh, degree progress requirements. It's about wins and losses. And if we're going to get where we want to get as a program, as a university, the athletic department, we have to always prioritize winning. I am the kind of person that I believe when it comes to management, and uh, I, I've operated my own business in the same way. And uh, there are sometimes you keep your mouth shut to allow people to say face. But you're always looking to upgrade, always. And if you're not looking to upgrade, you're going to regress just as we saw with baseball, right? I mean, how many times do we see after the 2021 year, we were a little bit too loyal to some players that at once were kind of role players for us, but they weren't ever going to be difference makers. They were never going to be major contributors. And we were too loyal to them. And ultimately, that's the reason we're in the position we're in. Rather than hit the portal hard in 2022, we said, oh, you know, we got all these guys back. We won an NFL championship together. And with the gift of hindsight, we can always say, well, you know, you don't want to be branded as the coach that won the NFL championship and then gutted your team. and ran all these guys off. And it's like there's all these feelings of nostalgia. But that clearly was a mistake. And it would have been a mistake to keep Zach Arnett. We could have easily said, you know what, Steve, we've had all these injuries, and that's true, and that's fair, and, yes, that's impact our ability to put points on the board and win football games. Yes, we've had injuries. Yes, we've had alignment problems. Yes, we've had pre-snap penalties. And that's the thing, too. You go back to that southeastern Louisiana game, we had one penalty in that game. Do you recall that? And that was a face mask on a kickoff return of a kid trying to make a play. It wasn't anything stupid, and we walked away from that game thinking, you know what, hey, it was a little bit you know, kind of you know, herky-jerky in the first half offensively, but we handled business and we committed one penalty. That's the mark of a good team. That's the mark of a well-coached team. We're like, You know what, hey, nothing else, man. And yeah, we had some growing pains on offense, but we went out there and didn't beat ourselves. We went out there and didn't make things difficult on ourselves. We went and played a football game, and we thought, you know what, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get the offense going, and things will be okay. That didn't work out for us. It didn't. And it's so interesting, too. Like, you look back in hindsight, of course, Arizona's ranked. Arizona doing a good job. And, uh, you know, that's a big win for us. You know, I thought they were going to struggle to get to a bowl game this year, and they, they've proven to be a very good team when it's all said and done. But we beat Arizona in overtime, which is the biggest win of the season. And then we got absolutely destroyed by LSU. And I remember walking away. Beginning of the year, I picked Alabama to win the West. Ultimately, they did. I'm not going to lie now. I changed horses after watching LSU play in person. I goes, you know what? LSU's got to go to Tuscaloosa. They win that game. They're going to win the West by two games. And what do they do? They lose to Ole Miss and Alabama, right? So Alabama wins the West, you know. And again, shout out to everybody that had ever had a chance to see their team win an SEC Western Division Championship. What an, what an accomplishment, right? Then we went to South Carolina knowing that was a must win. Now, offensively, we had a good day. You know, people forget that. You know, it's like, yo, we lost to South Carolina. And, again, we we said it then, and we all agree now. That loss, in hindsight, was terrible. It was terrible. Guys, Will Rogers threw for 487 yards in that game, 30 of 48 and we lose by seven. We could, we'd play a little defense there, have a call go our way. But you know, offensively, we were beginning to show some signs of life. And you thought, okay, all right. We had a rough first half against Southeastern. We had a rough second half against Arizona. Had a rough game against LSU. But we put it all together for the most part, offensively, against South Carolina. Put up 30 points. You put up 30 points in a Southeastern Conference game, you got to win that game. The next week, we get beat by Alabama. And uh, scored 17 points in the game. And uh, not that it's a moral victory, but uh, we did a better job against them this year than we have in recent years. And then against Western Michigan, offensively, we played really well. I thought the play calling was good. I thought things were... I said, okay, if this is the offense we can expect the rest of the way, we'll have a good chance to beat our contemporaries. Will Rogers, 16 or 22... 189 yards three touchdowns so what an explosive day for him but Mike comes in late seven of 10 57 yards Seth Davis runs for 65. it's a team we run for 194. you didn't have Woody marks in the second half of that game and you still put up over 400 yards of offense you know our issue in that game was defensively we, we just had so many lapses defensively 440 140 yards of offense for us we gave up 413. But again, you begin to feel like, okay, offensively, maybe we're getting better. Maybe we're getting better. And then and then will Riders goes down. And then Mike Wright's thrust into the starting lineup. And we go to Arkansas. And we win the game 7-3. Could have lost at 10-7. Could have won at 14-3. But we win. And even then, though, you thought, okay, well, I know we probably played it pretty vanilla. We tried to shorten the game. And I thought we managed that game about as well as we could, other than the fact that we missed some plays on the field. But as far as, like, kind of leaning on our defense, we had a great defensive performance. And you won the ball game. And even walking out that day, I even turned to Dane and I said, you know what, I don't know how the rest of the season is going to go. But I know this. I know that we came to Fayetteville, Arkansas, and we won an ugly football game. And it would have felt absolutely horrendous to lose this game. And it felt like we were going to for a second. Then we get ready to go to Auburn, and this is when things really begin to change. Now, there were already some fans out there that were already calling for change, and Arnett's over his head or whatever. I'm glad that's over with. Because if nothing else today, while it's a sad day for Arnett, it's probably a good day for Mississippi State football and probably a good day for our season. We went and played a pretty pedestrian Auburn team that had really struggled offensively. And what do they do? They immediately go up on us 14-3. Then we're caught chasing the game with an anemic offense. And I texted a good friend. I said, There's no way you can keep him after this. There's no way. There's just no way. That Monday, I talked to some people on campus that said, You know what? We really don't want to make a coaching change. You know, we're still hopeful that he we can figure some things out. If we get to six and six, uh, probably okay. If it's the right six, You get to seven and five, you're certainly not going to make a change. You get to six and six with all the injuries we've had, you can make a case to keep them. If we go five and seven, you can't. I agree with most of that. And then we go score three points against Kentucky and really didn't show up. And I can tell you the worm really turned that weekend. A lot of the people that before that were on the fence about keeping Arnett and about, hey, let's give him another year. I think we'll be okay. We're like, nah, I don't know how, Steve. And there are some people that write some really big checks to Mississippi State yearly. That Sunday after the Kentucky game, you're like, Steve, I can't support this anymore. I just can't. We got three games left to play. Barring a miracle finish, I got to reevaluate my support. I love Mississippi State, but I can't continue to support this. We find out on Sunday, and again, kind of reiterated it on Monday, that uh, Max Johnson wasn't expected to play for AM. and m and he's the number two quarterback. And it's like, oh, they're going to play a third-team quarterback. Guys, a third-team quarterback led them to a 51-10 win. Let that sink in for a second. Not Connor Wegman, QB1. Not even Max Johnson, former LSU starter and former A&M starter Max Johnson, A kid that hadn't played a meaningful snap of football in two years lit us up 51-10. to At that point, I think nobody outside of his family would have supported keeping Zach Garnett. As good a guy as he is, and as difficult as the circumstances were that he took it, this simply cannot continue. On the ride home yesterday, it proved to be very scenic Uh, I let the bride drive so I could work uh, because we were already prepared. I told my staff last week, I said, he's going to get a chance to finish the season unless we get embarrassed by Texas A&M. Well, 51-10 to is incredibly embarrassing. And so we had stories ready to go. So all day long yesterday, I'm I'm working the phones, trying to find out what's happening. Find out that uh, Zach Selman actually was out of state at a pre-planned event with some donors and was told nothing was expected to happen yesterday. Talked about that on the jeanspage.com message boards. I know there's a lot of angst and unrest in the fan base. Of course, as Jimbo Fisher is announced that he is out at AM. Boise State announces they're making a change, and people are like, well, you know what? We need to get out in front of this too. Now, I'll be honest with you. We could accomplish many of the same things we want to, even without uh, firing our net yesterday or today. You know, we could still facilitate a coaching change. My concern is I shared many times on the message board yesterday you have two games left against in state opponents that you're going to recruit against, even though Southern Miss can never beat Mississippi State for a kid's state really wants. True, right? But let's be honest. Most fans were not going to come to those games. Like you know what, I'm not going to go up there. I mean, to watch them play Southern Miss, I and mean, we may even lose a game. I'll just stay home, watch it on TV. May go away and get a head start on Christmas shopping, which is a little bit five weeks away, ladies. And so you begin to think about that, and you think about, hey, Ole Miss, and you never know what the status of Jackson Dart's going to be. I don't believe for one second. Uh, that he could have returned to the game Saturday. I I don't believe that. I think that's an outright lie. And, you know, we went through the same thing when, when Will Rogers got hurt. You know, Zach Arnett said the same thing. He could have returned. Well, if he could have returned against Western Michigan, why hadn't he played for a month, right? And so coaches say a lot of things in press conferences. They do. And some of that's to keep some mystery, especially about quarterbacks. It hadn't worked for us, but I understand the gamesmanship. You know, you look at what happened last year at Auburn. Brian Harson and his family, anybody you talk to will tell you they're great people, especially his wife. I've had so many people tell me she is a salt-of-the-earth type person, an absolutely wonderful person. And, of course, they tried to get Brian Harson fired the year before. Uh, There was this uh, discussion about, you know, an extramarital affair. There proved not to be any evidence of that. And so you knew he was a dead man walking. They were looking for an excuse to fire him. Well, they do. Matter of fact, if, if my memory serves me correct, it's the uh, first thing John Cohen did when he got there. was fire was Firebron Harsin. They elevate Cadillac Williams to be interim coach. Now, there was not any you know, real chances of Cadillac getting the full-time gig, but what he did to inspire those young men to be Auburn men and step up to the plate and say, you know what, let's go try to salvage something of the season. My thought process is, well, let's do that at Mississippi State. Yeah, we can wait around and uh, fire Zach the Friday after the Egg Bowl. Uh, And then, as Dave Murray says, too, you know, you probably have Zach Arnett getting booed off the field on Thanksgiving in his final game. That's probably how that would have worked out. We probably would have had a stadium full of Ole Miss fans taking over Davis Wade Stadium For the Egg Bowl, planting their flag on our field, celebrating in our locker room, leaving our town, uh, feeling jubilant. Well, now we've avoided that. And as some of our posters have said, you know, Steve, I, I want what's best for the program. And it's hard to say, well, if Arnett could beat Southern Miss and beat Ole Miss and find his way into a bowl game, do you have to keep him? I think now you've removed that possibility. You've made it easier. It's like, hey, we are not pleased with the totality of the season. And that was one of the things that I was told over the course of the last two weeks that we would be judged not on a single game or a single win, but on the totality of the season. These are not difficult decisions to make when you look at how anemic we've been offensively for a month now. You can counter that and say, well, you know, he's having to play with second third team quarterbacks. I get that. And the fact that uh, you had uh, Braden Locke and Sawyer Robertson, who have both started Power 5 games this year, leave your program in the days following Coach Leach's untimely passing. Yeah, that wrecks your depth chart. And that's not Zach Arnett's fault. It's not like Zach's had three years to build a roster and we kind of had to take what we had. And kind of hope for the best and then qb1 goes down qb rb1 goes down and we just really haven't been the same and so now it's about mississippi state it's not about zach arnett and zach would have never made it about himself but now as a fan base we can rally around each other and say you know what we know we're going to have change We're excited about that. We're all taking advantage of our 60% off an annual subscription price at jeanspage.com to follow the coaching search. But you know what? Now I think I am going to go to those games. And we need you to come to these games. We talk about what fans can do. And of course, fans are being asked to do more and more and more and more and more. I get it. All that I'm going to ask you to do right now is have your butt in Davis Wade Stadium two times in the next 10 days. That's all I'm asking. I know it's 11 a.m. kick this Saturday. I'm going to encourage you, make plans to be there because your coaches, but more importantly, your players need you to be there. Yes, I understand it's Southern Miss, but this is not about the opponent. This is about our program and our team. Now, it was one of the things last year that you looked at Auburn and you know, they had capacity crowds. Because, of the fact, they were so disenfranchised with the direction of their program. Like, you know, guys, I'll find something else to do. And it's like, hey, we're going to make change. And all of a sudden, those people answered the bell and said, you know what? I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there for those kids. I'm going to be there for Auburn. We need you to be here for Mississippi State. This is an unprecedented situation. You know, we don't fire coaches in the middle of the year. We don't. And you can run it all back all you want to. You know, Dave Murray and I were talking about that. Brian Haydad and I as well. But, you know, what's, what's the record for interim coaches? You know, Matt Luke, he beat us. Joe Lee Dunn, we beat him. You know, when he was an interim coach after the Billy Brewer scandal, well, I guess the second Billy Brewer scandal at Ole Miss, the one that ultimately cost him his job. But it's pretty rare that we do this. Sylvester Croom got to finish the year. Of course, Dan Mullen left of his own volition. Joe Moorhead was fired after the bowl game. And you go back even before that, you know, Jackie got to finish the 2003 season. As bad as it was, he got to finish it out. Rocky Falker got to finish it out. I mean, you, you could run it back. This is not a normal situation at Mississippi State. We traditionally have just waited to the end of the year and fired somebody the morning after the Egg Bowl. That's traditionally how it's been done. But now you've got to guy fired in season, and there's no scandal. There's not. It's not a situation where, well, well, you know, Steve, there's this happened or will this happened, or, you know, there's something happened off the field. None of that. But Zach Selman made his recommendation to our administration. They approved that recommendation. He made a decision to go ahead and make a move. Uh, you know what the egg bowl means, Dr. Keenum. Uh, we don't want to limp in there, but we need everybody that can be to be there because again, this isn't about a coach. It isn't about a future coach. This is about Mississippi State. Now, we've all had varying opinions over the season, even dating back to Arnett even being elevated from interim coach to head coach. We've had a difference of opinion. I'm going to tell you now, let's all just kind of move on from that. There are going to be so many people that say, you know what, I I told you so. I told you. That doesn't matter anymore. And I'm not going to tell you that either. If I've been wrong about some things, you better believe it. I've been right about some things, too. It's not about assigning blame at this point or claiming credit. It's about Mississippi State. And so, yeah, we're going to write a lot of articles about it. Matter of fact, we've already written 16 articles today on a Monday. We generally do about 10 a day. We have for the last six weeks or so. We've written a ton of content. And uh, we're going to do our best to navigate through this coaching search as detailed oriented as we possibly can be. It's a new administration, you know, so I don't know how they're going to handle things. You know, I, I says, they'll always say there's not going to be leagues that ultimately they're always proved to be leagues. Uh, it's just what league uh, matters. Right. So we're going to do our best to navigate through that. But it's about what's best for state now. This move. I think in the end proved to be the only move that Zach Selman could make. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like the Egg Bowl trophy being here. I do. Now, Ole Miss is playing a lot better football than we are right now. There's there's no question about that. Now the health of Jackson Dart's kind of up in the air. I suspect he won't play this week against Louisiana Monroe. And then we'll see what happens on Thanksgiving. If he doesn't play, you know, of course you can take this week you know, work with Walker Howard or whoever it's going to be and kind of prep some things. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you, I expect us to beat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. I want to beat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. I don't think a Zach Arnett-led team, after all that's happened this year, had any chance in that ball game. But let's say Will Rogers comes back this week, and, yes, he'll be rusty. Arnett kind of teased about that today. Hey, you know, Will's our starting quarterback. We expect him to be back next week and take every snap. Now, Greg Knox may feel differently. I don't know. I don't know what Greg will plan to do. But let's say Will comes back, works through the kinks, we get a win over Southern Miss, and maybe we look pretty good. Maybe the, co- the team comes out and says, you know what, we're going to prove it wasn't us. And then you've got some juice going into the Ole Miss game at home. You know, we'll see what happens. But I would give a Greg Knox coach team a better chance of beating an Ole Miss team than I would have Arnett. I think I think the AM game is proof positive that the team had given up. And maybe you can argue they've been beaten a submission. And maybe perhaps bringing Will Rogers back lights a fire under some of these guys. Because listen, this is the you know, SEC West has been determined for a long time. We were never in contention for that. I mean, mathematically, we were at the beginning of the year. Nobody ever expected this team a challenge for the West. We expected them to be better. We didn't think we'd be chasing a bowl game in mid-November. We thought we'd already have that handled. And there'll be some people in the SEC media say, see, I told you so. Well yeah, yeah. It's like me saying the sun's gonna come up tomorrow too, right? It's easy to say that in hindsight. Nobody knew Will Rogers would be injured and miss a month of the season. Nobody knew that Woody Marks would get injured and miss a month of the season or we'd lose most of our two-deep on the defensive line. That's got nothing to do with offensive coaching philosophy. I think in hindsight, you look back, that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that Zach made. Is rather than have kind of waning off this or kind of having an easier transition to a new scheme the next year, maybe you put some things in place this year that are building blocks for next year. But, you know, scrapping the air raid with an air raid quarterback and a roster that was built to run the air raid, I think ultimately cost him his job. He said, well, Steve, you just said it's about wins and losses. Yes, I think that's why their wins and losses are what they are. It's because of the changes we made offensively. There are times we look like a duck out of water. So I don't know. Bring Will Rogers back. Maybe let Will call the plays. I don't know. I'm I'm on board with that. At this point, what do you have to lose? Let's go out here and have some fun. And uh, I thought Greg Knox handled things well today. You know, we talk about winning the press conference, and let me tell you this, nothing, absolutely nothing, that you say in a press conference is going to change anything. It's not. But I felt like Greg's attitude and demeanor today, if that's what we work with over the course of these next couple weeks, I think you're going to be a lot happier with the product on the field. i tell you, back on uh, Saturday, as we're in College Station, Texas, I was surprised. And I, I, I spoke to Stefan Krajnik about this today. You know, looking back in hindsight, even in the moment, I thought, well, Zach's awfully different. You know, after the Auburn game, after the Kentucky game, Zach Arnett was pissed off. He was. He was very angry. cause he wasn't angry Saturday. We just got beat by 41 points. And he comes in there, and it's just kind of matter of fact about it. I think he already knew. I think he knew this was coming. I think there was a, an air of resignation. Hey, this is it. But he wasn't emotionally invested in postgame. And so we talk about reading body language and social cues and things like that. It was apparent to me in that postgame, that things were different. In hindsight, it really makes sense. It does. Because how could a real competitor, and we know what a competitor, Zach, is, how could a competitor get beat by 41 points and then walk into a post game press conference and just say, you know, be okay? I, listen, many of you have never had to compete against me I don't know many people that are more competitive than me. I don't. I don't know more people that work as hard as me or try harder than me. I, I don't. I, I'm just, that's not me giving you my resume. But I, I hate losing. I hate losing worse than I love winning. I can't stand it when somebody gets the better of me. I can't. And maybe that's uh, one of those deals that uh, maybe it's a character defect of mine. Maybe I need to be more accepting of those things. But I'm just not wired that way. I'm just not. I can't stand it. And if I had gotten beat by 41 points, I may have gone in there and flipped the table over. Now, I don't know if Zach is as competitive as me. I believe that he is. But I just felt like the way that all that kind of looked, and this morning, even looking back at it, it makes sense. Got some reports last week that the uh, team really wasn't engaged in practice. They were just kind of going through the motions. And it showed on Saturday. And so Zach Selman could have sat back and said, well, you know, this is kind of the Mississippi State way. We just usually wait to the end. I think Zach Selman has an obligation to you, to me, and to everybody that loves Mississippi State. So you know what? Hey, this thing with Zach may be over. But we're going to try to do something to salvage something from this season because our student athletes and our fans deserve better. And I respect it. I hate it for Zach. I wish things would have gone much better for Zach. I, I do. I like Zach as a person. I do. And I think people forget how dominant the defense was last year in the Egg ball. You know, Zach Arnett's a brilliant coach, and he will have another opportunity, and he will deserve another opportunity somewhere else. But I will forever be grateful to Zach Arnett for stepping up in our time of need. And I think people forget it's so easy how we move on, right? We think about it in hindsight and it's like, you know what, Steve, you know, I don't remember being that bad. Guys, when Mike Leach died, for a lot of us, a part of us died too because you love Mississippi State and you understood what a national treasure that Mike Leach was, And I don't know if you know this, but uh, the story that I wrote that my friend the pirate, I was told that it was the most read story in the history of 247 sports. Now, that's got nothing to do with me. It just shows you what a treasure Mike Leach was and is. I was on the radio and TV for the next couple days, and again, it wasn't about me. It's about Mike Leach. And it's so easy because familiarity breeds contempt, right? When he was, when he wasn't our coach, you only saw the sound bites, right? You only saw when he won. You saw when he put up big numbers. You're like, hey, look at Leach, man. Wouldn't it be great to have him? When well, you get him here and you understand there's a lot more to the Mike Leach experience, maybe you thought. And so last year we dealt with it all year long. It's like, oh, Mike Leach should be fired, should be fired, should be fired. And we end up having one of the best seasons in school history, and just when we thought, maybe we were turning the corner a little bit and said, hey, we're going to be one of the most veteran teams in the conference next year. Leach is back. Rodgers is back. He'll, he'll set a new record for SEC passing. Yeah, it's going to be a historic year. And then Mike Leach goes to Brian Haydad's uh, Christmas party on Friday, and it's the last time any of us ever see him. And it crushed us. Even the people that were the Leach critics – Everybody was crushed because our collective loss reverberated throughout college football. It was an unprecedented situation. And everybody around the country is coming to our message boards and are are tweeting at us and just telling all of us, man, we hate this for you guys. We love you. We're so sorry this happened. Your loss is our loss too. And we wondered, what do we do now? Well, Zach Arnett, of course, uh, steps up and coaches us to a win against Illinois in, in the ReliQuest Bowl and uh, probably the biggest bowl win since the Alan McKean era when we won the Orange Bowl. And we were drifting. And we were unsure of what we should do next. Well, Steve, there should be a national search. Well, the portal's about to, you know, we've got portal things we've got to worry about. What do we do we don't have time for a search. We got signing day coming up. We got to do something quickly. And then, boom, out of nowhere, I got a phone call and says, Hey, what do you think this direction we go? I remember saying then, I think it may be the only decision we can make for what's best for our program right now. Promoting Zach Arnett, in my opinion, when we did, was really the only decision we could make at that point. I think it was the best decision at the time. He protected the roster. He got us into signing day. Signed a top 25 class. Put a staff together. Uh, We thought, hey, we're going to run the air raid, kind of a modified air raid with a little more of a running component. And so there was optimism. And we all bought in with few exceptions. And then the next thing you know, we start playing some games. And uh, we thought, hey, there's some growing pains here, growing pains there. And even though we lost to LSU and Alabama, We thought, you know what, hey, we're we're two and three because we knew Carolina was a swing game. We were hoping to be four and two heading into that stretch in October against our contemporaries, and we thought, hey, if we can be four and two with Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky, and A&M coming up, if we win a couple of those, that gives you six. You knock off Southern Miss and Ole Miss and the Egg Bowl at home, you're still eight and four a year. That wasn't an unreasonable expectation. And I remember saying back then, people were like, ah, oh, Steve, I'm a first year coach. Maybe six and six, seven and five is best we can hope for. And I thought, hey, with this favorable schedule and experienced roster, if we go six and six or seven and five, we've hired the wrong guy. I said it then and I meant it. But I am not in any way critical of our administration for how they handled things back then. We have the gift of hindsight, we have the gift of 10 games of football now. At the time, well, what we were facing, we had to do something to stabilize the program. And I commend the administration for making the decision, and I commend the new administration for saying, you know what, we did what we had to do then. This is what we have to do now. And that's what leadership is. Now, I had some people tell me earlier in the year, I said, you know what, we committed to Zach Arnett. We told him to be patient with him. We knew there'd be some uh, growing pains this year. But when you begin to look at next year's record and next year's potential record against that schedule you begin to think to yourself guys if he's gonna go six and six this year and five and seven next year we might as well go ahead and do it if next year is going to be a rebuilding year i'd want it be with a first year coach than a last year coach because i don't think you give him year three right if he has a losing record this year or even a six and six record and a losing record next year He's not going to get year three. So if that's understood, and that's the you know that's the gift of forethought and the ability to project, I think Zach Selman really didn't have much of a decision to make. I think it all just centered around the timing, and he decided it was now. And he said, you know what, in his press conference today, you know we evaluate, we evaluate, we're always continually to evaluate, um, and I think he shared in our evaluation. And it doesn't matter who said it first. All that matters is where we are now. So now we begin a coaching search in earnest. And we begin to think about what's best for Mississippi State football. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to NerdWallet's Objective Finance Journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie, it loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explained the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let Nerd Wallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to the NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. And me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vests. And we go up there, and just in case one of the Cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too that's the thing the versatility of Tacovas And you know what, partner, point your toes west. Alright, so let's begin to look ahead. I know a lot of people say, Steve, so who are we gonna hire? Well, at this point I can't tell you. I can tell you that um, I'll give you my opinion. Zach Arnett said a lot of boilerplate stuff today, and that's not be critical. I mean it's the same it's the same speech, right? No matter no matter who or what sport. You know, it's like it, it's always we're gonna conduct a national search. Everybody says that. And uh, in some respects they may mean it. There are a lot of times people said we're going to conduct a national search and then hire somebody right away because there was already a deal done. I don't think there's a deal done right now for Mississippi State. That said, I do think things are going to move quickly. And here's the thing, too. You know, we could conduct a coaching search behind the scenes without firing Zach Arnett. You know, the one thing is there may be a candidate or two that comes across your radar now that maybe wouldn't before. You can work clandestinely and you can talk to agents and people with an agent circles talk because some of them talk to me, and things get out, you know And so I think what you've got to do, I think when the noise was as loud as it was, you just, you just pulled the band-Aid off. so, here it is. Okay, boom. And it gives us the benefit of kind of getting going officially. Again, you do things behind the scenes unofficially, but now it's out there. And again, there may be a coach out there that wouldn't have been looking to make a move and says, you know what? Maybe maybe that's a good spot for me. It may give you a candidate or two. But that understood. I think you've got to go get a head coach. You've got to get somebody with head coaching experience. One of the things that Dan struggled with and Joe struggled with and Zach certainly struggled with was kind of running the show. It takes a lot of clowns to run the circus. It does. And you don't know that when you first take the job. Because it's not just about recruiting, managing a roster, and game plans. If it was that simple, there would be a lot more people that would be able to do this job, and you wouldn't have to pay what we're paying. There'd be a lot more candidates out there. There would be. There's just so much more to it. And I remember this summer talking to Zach. You're out there covering a, a, a camp. And I said, How's it going? How are, how are you howling the transition? And, and he said this, and he wasn't complaining. Don't misunderstand. And he wasn't complaining or making any excuses. We're just two guys talking. And he goes, You know, if it was just about coaching football and running my teams, it'd be great. And it is great. He goes, but I'm having to learn to manage my time a little bit better. He said, because, you know, I've got to get on a plane and go fly to Washington, D.C. to lobby for NIL legislation. i got to go down to you know, Destin. i got to go over to Birmingham. He said, there's a lot of things they don't tell you initially. There's a lot of demands on a coach that really don't have a lot to do with managing your team. Now, Of course, all these things are football-related, peripherally. Right, NIL is a big deal. We need to have a a level playing field nationally in the NIL. I think we all agree in that. And so, yeah, you got to go up there for whatever that's worth and go up there and uh, go with the SEC coaching contingent as a show of force and of concern to the lobbyists and say, hey, we're here taking time out of our schedule because this issue is important to us. Now, I don't know if that's going to win us another football game, but it's a requirement of the gig. Uh, there's a lot of alumni functions that coaches are invited to. A lot of times, I got to say no, and I know everybody out there wants to. Hey, we want to get our net. We'd love to get our net. We'd love to have Coach Jans. We'd love to have Coach Shimonis. And you don't understand that it's not just you asking. You know, it's the Birmingham Alumni Association asking. It's the Orlando Alumni Association asking. It's Biloxi. It's Jackson. It's New Orleans. And all of a sudden, you look at that schedule and you wonder why we do the Road Dogs tour. It's like, hey, let's just kind of get all of our misery at one time. And I hate to characterize it that way. But you know, for a coach, every day you have to spend away from your team or the recruiting aspect of things. It's a distraction. It's a necessary distraction. And so you need to be able to bring in a coach that already understands those opportunities and can maximize those opportunities to help push the brand it doesn't need to be seen as an obligation but it's an opportunity and when you bring somebody up from the coordinator level or a g5 level especially the coordinator level they just don't understand that because they've had that buffer they've had a head coach that's always done the dog and pony show and now you have to do all that stuff and it's like oh we got to go to this dinner on thursday oh that was the day i was going to do this and do that well now you're constantly playing catch up you know, one of the things that I think really helped Mike Leach, you know, when they got here is, number one, Mike had already been a head coach at multiple locations. And so the very before Mike even shows up, you know, he has uh, you know, Dave Emmerich and Brittany Thackeray already on the ground. You know, they're here kind of conducting Leach football business. You know, when you're the guy that's getting promoted or you're the guy that gets his first job, you don't have that chief of staff. You may want that person. You don't even know who they are. And they don't know the job either. And so maybe you bring somebody in that you know and you trust. Maybe they're a friend. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big proponent of doing business with friends. Because I don't want to have to fire a friend. I would, and I have. But I don't like doing business with friends. You know, when Dan Mullen got hired, Dan had trouble putting a staff together. Did you know that? You know, Dan know people forget. You go back and look at that first staff of Dan Mullins, and let's do that, right? Let's take a look. Okay, so Mullen brings Hevesy. You know, uh, Hevesy was the co-offensive line coach with Adazio at Florida. Hevesy used to had, used to be the full offensive line coach. They bring in Adazio, so Hevesy was somewhat disenchanted. Was happy to make the move with Dan, and that was one of the first hires Dan made. And he said, hey, he's just an offensive line coach, a little bit gruff at times, but uh, he'll do a good job for us. And he did. And there's Mark Husbitt, who was an administrative hire that the athletic department hired. HUD, lifelong bulldog. We needed some assistant coaches to come in here to kind of new us a little bit, but HUD was not a Mullen hire. HUD was an athletic department hire. Tony Hughes, of course, was a uh, you know, was a guy that you know we we've known well, right? and a guy that we needed to bring in, and we did. And, uh, you know, a guy that um, you know has been with us for a long time, but, you know, Tony was a guy too, an electric recruiter at Ole Miss, Andre at Orgeron, then he was down there at Southern Miss. We bring him back up here to Mississippi State, a place that he wanted to be all along. He came to interview with us, with Coach Croom, and uh, didn't get the gig. And he went to Ole Miss, and Orgeron hired him, and he killed us. And then we hired Greg Knox. That was a Mullen hire. And you look at Greg Knox, it's crazy. You know, Greg spent basically his entire career either coaching for Tommy Tuberville or Dan Mullen. Very loyal guy. But that was a Mullen hire. Les Kenning. Of course, Les had some big years in Alabama. Les, also an athletic department hire, not a Dan Mullen hire. Supposed to be your quarterback and offensive coach, offensive coordinator. And then there's Scott Salwich, a guy that uh, played with Dan Mullen, you know, bring in a friend, and then ultimately uh, take him off the field and put D.J. Looney in his spot. Then there's Carl Torbush, defensive coordinator. Again, essentially an athletic department hire. Of course, Dan had to sound off on all this stuff. But we had to kind of help put this thing together. You know, of course, then there's uh, you know Melvin Smith, David Turner, They were holdovers from the Chrome administration. But, uh, yeah, so Dan is, you know, you look back in hindsight and people forget that even Dan Mullen, the great Dan Mullen, who had so many great years, in the beginning had a difficult time putting a staff together. So when you're that guy, when you're the guy that is getting to be a head coach for the first time, knowing who your staff is going to be and who you can put on the ground – while you navigate through all this, it's very important. And the truth of the matter is, is when you're having to depend on other people to help you do that, you don't know if it's going to be a good fit, but you do what you have to do. And that's the danger with hiring a first-year coach. When you hire an existing coach, whether they be at the G5 level or at the P5 level, they've already got a staff together, and more times than not, they bring those people with them, especially on the support side. Because there's just so many moving parts to all this, right? You gotta have somebody keep the schedule, you gotta have somebody that's gonna, you know, handle all the administrative things that you don't have to. It's a much different dynamic. And that's the thing too about bringing in a G five guy. You know, uh, yes, you have the staff, but I worry about it from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah, I think I think about this in baseball all the time. And and it certainly applies in football. Basketball is a little bit different because almost everything now in basketball is NIL driven. Just about all of it. Um, But, you know, it's like people say, hey, let's go get this mid-major coach. He's tearing it up. I always worry about the gimmicky G5 guy, whether it be in baseball or in football. And the reason that I say that is because do they know an SEC player when they see one? on the high school level and then do they know what it takes to recruit that player to your school because where you've been in the past when you say hey hey we love this kid he's you know 50 miles down the road from us we're gonna offer him and the next thing you know you offer him and then Florida State offers him and Tennessee offers him well then you just kind of withdraw right because you, you kind of know the branding of your program and so you know what We're going to recruit this kid, but we're not going to go out there and allocate a bunch of resources to get this guy because we know we're not going to beat Florida State and Tennessee for him. Does the new coach have what it takes to get out and fight in the streets for an SEC football player against SEC teams? That's the real question. And we've seen it in the past. You've had some recruiting dynamos that couldn't coach. Right, you saw what Ed Orgeron did at Ole Miss, right? Everybody's like, hey, we gotta improve our recruiting. So Pete Boone and him go out there and hire Ed Orgeron, who uh, rivals had said was the top recruiter in the country. What does he do? He comes in and kinda you know, loads up the roster, couldn't win. And then Houston not inherited a very talented roster and went to a couple of cotton bowls, and then Houston and those guys uh, couldn't recruit at the same level. And then they're gone. And so we've got to have a guy that can handle both components of the job. Yes, they know what it takes to identify and recruit and sign these players, but also to develop them into a cohesive unit where they consistently perform at a high level. You've got to have a great identifier and recruiter of talent and a great developer and retainer of talent. And that's difficult for a first-year head coach. It is. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how well-educated you are. I don't care who all you've worked for. I don't care what your coaching pedigree is. Until you've had to do it, you don't know how to do it. And you're going to make some mistakes. And so the best thing for Mississippi State is to identify an individual that has already got a proven track record of being to do this. Listen, I see all the names, too. It's like, oh, this guy's so great. And you know, what's funny is uh, you're talking to my friends in agent and coaching circles. Yeah, I run some names by people, and I'm not going to mention the names. But I was like, hey, you know, what about this guy at this school? And are like, oh, well, that's not even his offense. Well, I thought he was an offensive-minded coach. He is, but his offensive coordinator is, is the guy. He's the guy. You know, the head coach just kind of stays out of the way. It's the OC you want, but you don't want him as your head coach. And so it's important to understand the dynamic of the G5 coaching talent pool. There are some guys out there that have done a great job no matter where they've been. They've had some adjustments over time with staff and then had some continued success. It's important to understand that. I don't want the guy that struggled, 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 and then all of a sudden hired an OC and then things take off. Oh, they got it figured out. Well, do they have it figured out or does the new OC have it figured out? And that's a challenge I think Zach Selman has is you've got to look through all that through your vetting process because the, I'm going to tell you the search committee and I understand how important they are I get it because they're going to tell you the hot names in coaching but you've got to do your own due diligence you can't just depend on these coaching firms these search firms to help you navigate the search because I'm going to tell you this they're going to promote and just like we saw in men's basketball they're going to promote a ton of candidates That maybe you're not interested in. They're going to give you a list of all this person, this person, this person. There's going to be some people on this list because of this reason and this reason. That doesn't mean it's the best individual for Mississippi State. And there are going to be some people out there, too, that have a vested interest in their friend getting a job. And maybe it's to their friend's best interest, but not to Mississippi State's best interest. We've seen that happen a couple times in sports. You know, we go out there and we chase somebody. and Hey, listen, I got somebody I want to promote. And listen, you take those calls, but you got to understand, too, some of those are very self-serving, you know, right? And so it's a real challenge. But to me, the preferred candidate would have a few attributes that I think that our current coaching staff doesn't. Head coaching experience, preferably on the Power 5 level. Now, are we going to be able to go hire a sitting Power Five coach? The chances of that are pretty slim. You say, but Steve, but we've never done that. Well, we did with Mike Leach. We took him away from Washington State. They also have the lowest budget in the Power Five, they couldn't match us dollar for dollar. It's true. So, you'd like to have somebody with head coaching experience because they've got to know how to run the show. We can't have this learning curve, especially where we are right now. And again, this is typically when the silly season begins. And you've got some important dates to consider, right, because uh, the recruiting calendar, you know, once we get through the Saturday of the regular season, in-home visits open up. Now, yes, we can take our current assistant coaches and we can uh, you know, deputize them to go back out and recruit for us. We can put Rod Gibson on the road. We can put Brad Peterson on the road. We can do things like that. know people that we know are beholden to our program to go out and recruit but you know they can't tell a recruit hey this is the kind of offense we're going to run and yeah i know that you're a tweener and maybe you're a safety or a backer and here's how you fit in the new scheme so the sooner you get that handled and get coaches hired uh, the better off you're going to be and so that's an important date to consider and everybody says, well, we're not going to hire somebody until their season's over. Well, how many coaches do you know that, don't, that aren't involved in conference championship games that hang around for a ball game? They're not going to. They're not. And so let's say, for an example, that we are closing in on a higher Egg Bowl night or that weekend, right? Chances are our coach is going to be coaching somewhere that Saturday. And ideally, you'd love to be able to introduce them here that Monday. Now, if they're playing for a conference championship game, that's going to go another week. Now, you may have a deal in place, but you know, you're know you going to let that guy coach in that championship game. I mean, you, you, you don't ever see that happen, really. But you don't see people that uh, aren't playing for something meaningful say, hey, well, I want to hang around and go coach a Liberty Bowl. That just doesn't happen. They, they just go ahead and hire an interim coach because that ball game doesn't matter. If they're in the playoff, they're going to want to continue to be part of that. And so that's something to consider, too. And we have to make you know, the best decision that is long term, in the long term interest of Mississippi State. We can't say, hey, we have to have a guy by this date when the right candidate maybe has to play a little bit longer. Now, all that understood. That might preclude some guys because of the fact that, you know, the portal is a real and present thing, and it opens the Monday after Championship Saturday. And, yes, you would have some opportunities to recruit your players back, but you'd like to prevent them from getting in the portal if you could. And a lot of people will say, you know what, I'm going to get in the portal and uh, see who they hire, and I'll see maybe what I can get, and then it becomes a much more expensive proposition for you. Now, I have been given some numbers about Bulldog and ISTA that I believe are accurate. I'm not going to share them here today. But I'm encouraged, and I've I've been a guy that's beat the drum since the beginning, uh, not to say that we should stop, but I believe we are in the best position we have ever been in when it comes to NIL and football uh, fundraising. The numbers that I have been given are very encouraging. Are we where we want to be? No. But are we better off than most people think we are? You better believe it we're in a good spot not in a great spot not in a bad spot now other people go out there and act like that we you know we're gonna to have to shop at dirt cheap you know to make life work for us and that's just not the case but in order to save some of that money we need to have a coach here that uh, can sell his vision because one there may be some guys out there that are encouraged hey you need to go get in the portal just to be sure you got something right because you never know, the new coach may come in here. Maybe he's going to run a scheme that doesn't fit you, and you'll be stuck there, waste your eligibility, right? Well, then they get in the portal, and then within 24 hours, you got you know 50 schools contacting them and I'm gonna say, "Hey, we can give you this, we can give you that." And you're like, "Hey, well, coach, I'd love to come back. However, I went to portal, and this school offered me $100,000 to transfer. And so I want to stay here, but I really need that hundred grand." And right now, many of you, like, your stomach is churning because, listen, I get it. I feel the same way. But that's the reality of what we face, and it's legal. And so the sooner we get a coach hired, the sooner we can get into the homes of recruits and also have an opportunity to begin to build some relationships and and really just kind of remove some anxiety from the roster. It's like, hey, you're our guy. Now, there's a lot of names out there. There's a huge funnel of names. And it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger in the couple days, right? By the end of the week, you know, we may be talking 50 people. And we put up a hot board today. Got some names that we believe in and some ones that we know are just kind of names connected to the search uh, through previous relationships or whatever. And we'll begin to eliminate those, right? We put that up. The first board's always the, uh, you know, <clears throat> the one that is very comprehensive, and it doesn't matter, you know, I remember when we put up the pitching coach board. Uh, I remember just like it was yesterday. We put out the, uh, the pitching coach search board. We'd never done that before. We thought we'd make a big deal out of it. And uh, we had Justin Parker on our initial hot coaching search board. And I remember as soon as people were like, oh, these names are so gross. And then we ended up hiring Justin Parker. People forget the fact we had him on the first hot board. You'd always like to do that, and more times than not, we do didn't always work out that way because especially in football because there's just so many names involved but all that said we're going to work through this process and uh we're going to have updates over at jeanspage.com on a daily basis and uh, i don't know how zach selman works yet i don't i admit it right now this is the first search i've ever had to cover that he facilitated and uh you know zach and i have a good relationship but i also know too that you know uh, it's not the relationship that I have with Scott Strickland or John Cohen. I hadn't long, learned long enough, right? And so uh, I don't know what he's going to be willing to share. I don't know what people around him are going to be willing to share. And there have been times in the past people have given me names and we floated them out there and uh, to get a reaction. You know, hey, what do you guys think about this? Oh, I hate that guy, whatever. You know, not that we're conducting a poll, but there are a lot of times out there people want to know, you know, what's the reaction? I can't count the times that people would say, hey, you yeah, what, what are our fans talking about these days? You know, who are the names they're talking about? You know, what would excite the fan base? You know, you, you got to make decisions that are, uh, that are best for your program, but you also, too, you have to be cognizant of the fact that the stockholders in your athletic department, uh, maybe they don't get a say, but they do have an opinion. And sometimes it's important to listen to that, even if you don't agree with it. I think it's important to understand that they're like, hey, I would love this coach. And I remember when Justin Parker's name, when it got really serious because we put him on the hot board and had people say, you know what, he's not going to make a move this year. And I remember the week before things got hot, I had a a source in college baseball that said, you know what, this whole thing with – there may be a shakeup in South Carolina that that whole staff may be leaving, and Justin doesn't want to go to Miami. So he's kind of looking around. And the next thing you know, Justin Parker and his wife are on a plane to Starkville. And so things change as the college coaching carousel spins. You know, people have to decide, Do I what, what is best for my family, right? Do I want to make that trip from Washington State to Mississippi State with Mike Leach? Well, ultimately everybody but one coach did. And the one that stayed behind wasn't uh, one that they chose to retain. And so... That was a pretty tidy undertaking. It didn't take us a lot of time, effort, and trouble. You know, of course, it requires a lot of phone calls. And sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't. But I think it's important that we don't have this piecemeal approach to putting a staff together. And I think that's another big part of hitting the recruiting ground running is to have a cohesive staff that already has a relationship together and so then they in turn come here as a group and get right to work rather than, okay, I've got my chief of staff here, my friend from junior college or whoever, you know, and then uh, I've, I've hired somebody that uh, I knew from uh, you know my days in high school that I've always loved, that I have no clue what they're doing, and then, okay, we're going to hire this coach and that coach and i got to interview this coach. I mean, you, you want to spend that time recruiting and not having a piecemeal of staff together. You know, we went through some of that with Joe Moorhead, too. You know, people forget, you know, when Joe Moorhead took the job, there was already kind of an agreement of who the D.C. was going to be. And then that person backed out. And we hired Bob Shoop, which ended up being okay, for sure. But I think it's important for our our fans to understand that, you know, when you go hire the first-year head coach, when you go get the coordinator – it makes all of this staffing so much more difficult because number one, you don't have the you don't have a network like a sitting head coach does. You don't have people that are already beholden or loyal to you, and there may be people out there in the past. who say, "Hey, whenever you get a head coaching job, I want you to be one of my coordinators." You're like, "Oh yeah, sure, Joe. You'll never, yeah, we'll do that." And then when the time comes, you're like, you know what, I don't, I don't know if I want to go to Mississippi State or if I want to leave Michigan, right? That happens. But like with Mike Leach and his crew, you know, hey, it's like Mike shows up, brings the entire offensive staff with him, uh, approaches Rocky Long, you know, approaches a few other people, and uh, we get Zach Arnett. And, and I would venture to say Zach did a good job for us. And at times the defense was downright dominant, and other times not too much. But Leach had a network, Leach had a staff. And of course, he brings in Darcel McBath, and everybody will tell you, I mean, that's a Leach guy if there ever was one. You know, so there wasn't much question about Darcel coming and you know, I was excited about Darcel coming I thought it was huge you know, for Darcel to come. And you kind of start putting this thing together, and even then, there were some challenges. And so you want the new coach to have the opportunity to focus on football first. And that's why I think it's so important to get a sitting head coach. doesn't matter to me if they're from the G5 level or the Power 5 level. And, again, the chances of us going out and landing a Power 5 coach are are tough. Let's just call it for what it is. But I don't think we have to go do the old poor old Mississippi State thing and let's just go out there and hire a coordinator and hope for the best. This is an important recruiting class for us, but no class is more important than the health of our program. Not when you got the benefit of the portal. And even though we've struck out at times in the portal, uh, you can get players. And you may not be able to get the high school players you want after transition, uh, but uh, you've got the ability to kind of replenish your roster, which previous coaches' staffs have not had that opportunity to do. And that's important to understand, too. But I will forever be grateful to Zach Arnett for stepping up and uh, doing what we needed him to do as best he could. He just simply didn't win enough. I don't think any less of him as a coach or a person. And I think he'd be pretty cool, man. I really do. If our fans took to Twitter, even though Zach hadn't been on Twitter in a long time, and a lot of that too, I don't blame him. But uh, if our fans just kind of messaged to me, thanks, Zach. Thanks. You know, no disclaimers needed. You don't have to have a caveat and said, well, you know, Coach, we just didn't win enough. You know, Coach, thanks for stepping up when we needed you. Period. I think that would be a really cool thing. I texted Zach a little bit earlier. I didn't get a response. I don't expect to get one. I didn't send the text expecting to get a response. But I sent a text earlier today thanking Zach for his contributions to Mississippi State. And I appreciate everything he did and tried to do for Mississippi State football. And, uh, you know, again, he didn't win enough, but I, I'm, I'm not walking away bitter or angry at Zach Arnett, and I don't think anybody should, at least from our fans. None of our fans should look at it and say, oh, I'm so glad. It's like all this stuff, like the people, like we're, we're relieved today because now we know, right? The Jimbo Fisher thing is much different. We're going to talk about it a little, little bit before we get out of here. The people at A&M were so sick and tired of Jimbo Fisher, they could not wait for him to be fired, right? I mean, you know, four losses in what, all but one season? Yeah, I mean, that's not what they signed up for. It was a big coup when they got him, but they didn't get the return on the investment. So I understand all the pent-up frustration and angst that comes out. That's just not the case here. Zach Arnett should not be criticized in the way that Jimbo Fisher is. And Jimbo, I, If I'm Jimbo Fisher, you never see me again. With the amount of money he's going to get, it's great work if you can get it. But Jimbo Fisher had worn out his welcome at a and Zach Arnett was a guy that tried to do an impossible job under some very difficult circumstances when we needed him the most. All right, let's take a look at the weekend it was in the Southeastern Conference. It was blowout Saturday in the SEC. Pretty crazy stuff. None of these games are competitive. None. Maybe with the exception of Florida LSU, where that ultimately ended up being LSU putting up 52 points on Florida. What a great year this LSU offense is having. But, uh, you know, it started Alabama 49 21 winners over Kentucky. Guys, that game was over in the first quarter. It was. And uh, we talked the, last week, Kentucky only has two wins all time against Alabama. And uh, it's been a long time since it tied. the tide has been to Kroger Field. They removed all doubt and had the West clinch before Ole Miss took the field. There were so many people talking about uh, the Ole Miss Georgia game was the biggest game in. Ole Miss history, I don't know that I I agree with that. I think the 2003 game between Ole Miss and LSU when Eli Manning buckled under the pressure, probably the biggest game in school history. And so Ole Miss holds the distinction. And some of you, for some reason, uh, I guess maybe you're beholden to too many Ole Miss friends in your life that we're not supposed to discuss that. Guys, we can have a bad season and have strong opinions about other teams. That doesn't preclude us because of the fact that we're struggling and we just fired our coach that we can't have an opinion. And I've got a strong opinion about this. Ole Miss holds the distinction of being the only team from the 1992 expansion we went to six team divisions, the only team in the history of the SEC West from 1992 to not make an SEC championship game is Ole Miss. And, yes, we're going to comment on that. And if you don't like it, then you can learn to live with it. Because, yes, we're going to point that out. Well, Steve, we only went one time. Yeah, but at least we went, right? I'd rather be, you know, a has-been than a never was. Say, but, Steve, they're having a better year than us. So? And even in their dream season, they couldn't get it done. Once again, all Miss proves that they're in neighborhoods they don't belong. As Georgia beats them 50 to 17 52 to 17 guys it was a 14 14 game and then you look up and it's 28 14 at the half and then in the second half georgia outscores them 24 to 3 they didn't touch carson beck he did whatever he wanted to do and again this georgia team has been kind of up and down this year and you look up they're still 10 and 0 they're still headed back to atlanta It's crazy. It is. And the same thing can be said for Alabama. Beginning of the year, we thought this was a vulnerable Alabama team. And all of a sudden, you look up and their only loss is to Texas. And we had this discussion on the jeanspage.com message board yesterday. If Alabama wins out, they're going to playoff. And say, well, Texas, that doesn't matter. If Alabama wins out, and they should, is they host UT Chattanooga, and then travel to Auburn, and they should win both of those games handily. Of course, you know, you throw the record books out in a rivalry game. But if they find a way to beat Georgia, they're in the playoff. And if Texas wins out and Alabama wins out, I'm voting Alabama ahead of Texas because that win over Georgia is loud. South Carolina all over Vanderbilt 47-6. to we expected that to be a game that uh, Carolina would win with some ease, probably not that much. Carolina offense has been good last couple weeks. And again, I go back to the beginning of this. After week two, I told you guys Vanderbilt's done one in football games, and they are. Missouri. I picked Tennessee in this game. And I don't know. Eli Drinkwitz, maybe get tired of us doubting the Tigers. 36 7. They did Tennessee. Missouri now will finish second in the SEC East. Crazy. Auburn goes to Arkansas and just absolutely mops the floor with Arkansas, 48-10. to And just last week I had people telling me Arkansas Sam Pimmins okay. Now people are like, you know what, the process has already begun. We're going to move on. And I think some of that may involve Gus Malzahn, so we'll see. And, of course, that impacts the Mississippi State search. I'd love to have Gus Melz on, to be honest with you. I would. He fits the criteria SEC coaching experience, Power Five coaching experience, uh, a, a staff that's already in place. I think it's all big. But if Arkansas wants him, I think Arkansas gets him. And we mentioned the LSU offense. You know, Jaden Daniels, a lot of people were a little bit curious if he's going to play this was quite a tussle for a while and then that second half lsu just kind of took over and said you know what we're done with this this game is over the second half 35 points for the lsu offense 35 that'll get it done that will get it done and of course Jaden daniels just absolutely destroying the lsu record books Jaden daniels may be your husband trophy winner it's not him or michael pennix nuts Bo Nix in the mix too but 17 of 26 for 372 yards and three touchdowns and then ran for 234 you talk about a big moment there my gosh it's nuts man over 600 yards of offense responsible by one guy that was probable in the game it's absolutely crazy to think about the numbers they put up in this game the LSU offense and it's a shame that they won't get a chance to play for something more substantial. And they're losing a ton. So your winners last week, Alabama wraps up the West. South Carolina keeps their thin bowl, hopes alive. Missouri solidifies themselves as the second-best team in the East. Auburn now bowl eligible and jockeying for position. Georgia clinches the SEC East. LSU trending towards a potential New Year's Six bowl game. Texas A&M, Bo eligible now, but will do so with an interim coach. Let's take a peek ahead at Week 12 in the SEC. As I mentioned, UT Chattanooga will travel to Alabama. Uh, That's going to be interesting. Louisiana Monroe at Ole Miss. Will Jackson Dart play? Will he not? We don't know yet. I would hold him out. But that's just me. Southern Miss, of course, at Mississippi State. Your Bulldogs, a 14-point favorite in the game. I think the only way that happens is if Will Rogers plays and plays uh, near his capabilities. Abilene Christian today A&M. That'll be a blowout of epic proportions. Georgia will travel to Tennessee. Now, will Georgia play this game as fat cats? I think not. It's not just about winning the East for Georgia. It's about winning an Apple Championship. But that'll be a fun game. That's the 2:30 game. So as we're wrapping up with Southern Miss, we can get home in time to catch uh, the tail end of that. New Mexico State's at Auburn. Uh, that should be a big win for Auburn as they prepare for the Iron Bowl. Florida's at Missouri. Billy Napier and those guys say they're firmly confident in their future. Hey, Florida, I don't know that I agree. I don't know that Florida wins another game. FIU is at Arkansas. Arkansas needs to win that one and then find a way to uh, to upset Missouri to make anything of this season. You know, they're three and seven right now and you know could potentially backdoor into a ballgame at five and seven, as could we. Kentucky's at South Carolina. I'm eager to see how Kentucky responds in this ballgame. This is a, you know a, a primetime game between two very mediocre teams. I'd like to see South Carolina win the game. I would. Georgia State's at LSU. Another chance for LSU to pad the stats. And uh, we'll take a look at the SEC standings here. We know where we rank. Uh, we're sixth by virtue of a top over Arkansas. They're three and seven overall. We're four and six. And still the possibility to get bowl eligible for your Bulldogs. Auburn, now six and four overall and bowl eligible. Three and four. A game behind Texas A&M. Who's also six and four, and then LSU seven and three, five and two in the league. Ole Miss, by virtue of beating LSU, has the tiebreaker and a better overall record. Uh, you look at this Ole Miss team and you think, hey, you know they're they're probably looking at you know a ten and two, or perhaps a nine and three record, and then Alabama seven and zero oh in the conference, nine and one overall. Good chance that the Crimson Tide ends the regular season eleven and one and headed to a nice bowl occasion. And again, if they win the SEC championship, they certainly could they're in the playoff. Vanderbilt 0 and 7, 2 and 9 in the uh, overall. And again, you look at them, you know, th- this thing is about over, right? As well as it should be. It's crazy to look at this Vanderbilt team. I don't think Clark Lee's in any danger by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, they will have an open date this weekend and then play at Tennessee next weekend, that'll be a loss and wrap up a 2-10 and 10 season for them. South Carolina is 2-5, and five and now clinging to their postseason hopes, again, they need to win out. It's going to be difficult to do. They get Kentucky, and then they host Clemson. Could South Carolina win out and get Bo eligible? They could. They've had a lot of injuries, especially in the offensive line. But, I, you know, a week ago, I don't know if I ever said that, but, or two weeks ago. But uh, South Carolina is still in the mix. Florida at five and five. You know, Florida, of course, this week uh, plays Missouri, and then Florida State next week staring five and seven right in the face. Kentucky, six and four, bow eligible. But also, when you look at this Kentucky team, it's South Carolina and then Louisville. At Louisville. So yes, Bo eligible. But uh, again, you look at that. Look at the totality of things. And again, Mark Stoops being mentioned in connection with some other jobs, like Michigan State and perhaps even Iowa, if uh, Kirk Ferentz moves on at Iowa. Tennessee seven and three overall, three and three in the league. Missouri a game ahead of them at four and two, and uh, by virtue of the tiebreaker, it's going to be you know, almost impossible to catch them. And Missouri, you know, a chance to go ten and two this year. Yeah, think. Let that sink in for a second, right? A team that many people thought would be 500, including myself. That's a surprise of the league. That's the story of the SEC this year: is the Missouri Tigers and, of course, uh, the George Bulldogs, seven and and0 and ten and O overall. And uh, man, this Georgia team. You know, you keep saying it, but Kirby Smart keeps getting these guys up to play. A lot of people thought Ole Miss could slip in between the hedges and turn this thing into a shootout. George is like, game on. And, again, breaking news, Ole Miss, the only team in the SEC West, from the 1992 invention of the SEC championship game, to never go to Atlanta. Texas A&M didn't either, but they didn't join the league until 2012. So Ole Miss, Congratulations. It's a very dubious distinction. I know we have some Ole Miss fans listening to this show, so let me congratulate you. Uh, perhaps go put that right next to your 2003 fake co-SEC West champion banner in Vault hemingway Stadium. And, yes, we will continue to talk about it. And if you're one of those delicate Mississippi State fans, well, Steve, we shouldn't say anything, you're wrong. We're going to say something. And we've earned the right to say it because we've been to Atlanta. And maybe someday we'll get back. It won't be as an SEC West champion because of the fact the divisions go away. But uh, anytime that we've done something and they haven't, we're going to talk about it. They talk about how we've never been to a Sugar Bowl, and it stings because it's true. They've never been to an Orange Bowl. We don't talk about that enough. We've been multiple times. Uh, But all that said, this season will soon come to a painful end. Here at Mississippi State, of course, the band-aid's now ripped off. And the thing that I think about, you know, if Zach Arnett had stayed, and let's say somehow we beat Southern Miss and upset Ole Miss, and again with Jackson Dart's health in question, you never know what that team's going to look like. And we made a bowl game, and let's say we went six and six and went to the Birmingham Bowl. You wouldn't have bought tickets, but you might now. Now when you think about it and say, you know what, hey, I can support this because I know change is coming. Because I'm there for these kids. I'm there for these players. I'm there for Mississippi State. And so, again, I'm going to make my plea, and I'm going to do it all week long. Please come to the game this week and next week. Please come be a part. We need you. We do. We need you as a Mississippi State family to come together. Again, it's not about who's right or wrong or when we were right or when we did this whatever. Now it's all about the future. It's all about what's best for Mississippi State football. Zach Selman decided that the best decision for us was to make the decision to move away from Zach Arnett and to do that today. I fully support the decision. I fully support our administration. And I fully support all of you. As I've said on this show many, many times, I am for Mississippi State and everybody else that is for Mississippi State And I support all of their coaches until they are no longer our coaches. Uh, And it was difficult for me to do that with Ben Howland. I thought he should have been fired long before he was. Uh, But I was fair to Ben down the stretch. Even had some people in the administration call me and say, I think you've been fair to Ben. I wish Ben would have been fair to us and done a better job. Uh, But, again, this situation with Zach was not one of his choosing. Uh, He elected to take on a responsibility to help us through a very difficult time. And he's done that. Things did not go the way we had hoped. And so now we move forward as a family. And we wish Zach Arnett the best. He has a very bright future ahead of him. And now he also has a a pretty nice bank account with about $4.5 million of our money. It's good work if you can get it. And we wish Zach Arnett the absolute best. Reminder, too, if you hadn't done so, go to whenthebottomfalls.com. You can pre-order the new book. It'll be delivered uh, to the warehouse a week from today, thereabouts. So you should have books in your mailboxes next week. They'll come in here, and then I'll go sign them, and they'll begin to ship them and get them out. If you have any issues, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, The best thing to do is to hit that Contact Us link on the website. But if you have any issues getting a response, hit me up, and I can also... uh, you know, reach out to folks. Excited for you to have this. I want to thank everybody that turned out uh, last week, last Thursday night. Uh, had a chance to share some experience, strength, and hope with some people in the world of recovery. And uh, I don't advertise those events because it's not about me. It's about recovery and about, uh, you know, I don't want it to be a situation where Mississippi State people just kind of show up for the fun of it. <clears throat> I want it to be about the people that are, that are seeking a, a life of recovery. And so a lot of people I know are involved with Celebrate Recovery, and you're not addicts. You're just doing what you can to be of service, and I appreciate that. And everybody out there, that uh, whether you be in law enforcement or whatever, they're working hard to try to get uh, people into programs of recovery. Thank you very much for doing so. You are my people. Uh, thank you again very much. We'll be back on Wednesday. And uh, there will be no media opportunities for football the rest of this week. All the focus will be on getting the team ready for Southern Miss. And uh, we'll begin posting some updates over at jeanspage.com. Remind you, 60% off the annual subscription rate. We started running a promotion today. Uh, it's been a very, very big day for us, as you could imagine, content-wise, but also, too, traffic-wise on the site. And uh, so we're giving you one of our best deals ever uh, to come be a part of that. That's at jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.